This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I am your host, Lindsay, and I am super grateful that you are here today. If you are new to the show, welcome, welcome. We are glad to have you. A little bit about me. I am the mother of four myself. I have been podcasting for four years now. I have another show called I'll Have Another with Lindsay Hine, where I interview professional and everyday runners. And man, when I started that show, I had two babies and I was pregnant with my third. And as time went on hosting that podcast, I became more and more interested in talking with guests about parenthood, talking with other parents, experts, and I wanted to create a community where people could encourage one another. And really my biggest goal for this podcast is that you'll walk away armed with some sort of knowledge that you can use and apply in your everyday life, whether that's big or small, it'll probably change or depend on the episode. Also, I wanna let you know, we have a Facebook group called Why Is Everyone Yelling? And that's gonna be a great place to connect with all the other listeners and to join the community over there. Come there with any kind of questions or comments or thoughts. We would love to welcome you over there. Today's episode is episode six, and I am super pumped about this podcast episode. When I decided to start a parenting podcast, this was one of the first guests I thought of to come on the show, okay? So this episode is with Alex Caspero. She is a registered dietitian, and she is the co-founder of Plant-Based Juniors. She's also the chef behind Delish Knowledge, and her goal is to cut through the nutrition noise by providing real-life nourishing tips for the body and the mind. Alex has a bachelor's degree in nutrition and dietetics from James Madison University. She has a master's degree in exercise science from the University of the Pacific in Stockton, California. And she's also a certified personal trainer, group exercise instructor, and registered yoga teacher. She's the mother of two and she's also a cookbook author. She has a cookbook called Fresh Italian Cooking. She is the co-founder of Plant-Based Juniors. She is teamed up with another mom and dietitian friend, and they provide a community that gives you a complete guide to plant-based prenatal and pediatric nutrition. Okay, what I love about Plant-Based Juniors and Alex's work is that this is not about perfection. It's about helping you get more plants on your plate It's not an all or nothing approach. And I love that so much because I cannot do all or nothing. I'm all about balance over here as much as I can. I'm all about balance. Uh, So you're going to hear all about plant-based eating for kids in this episode, as well as making sure we get enough protein and iron and calcium in our diets. And then we also talk about mealtime and dinner time with kids because I don't know if you are anything like me, it is really hard for me to get my kids to eat a wide variety of foods. I have a three-year-old that eats Triscuits all day, every day. So (laughs) um, Alex gives some good tips and she's got a great philosophy on all of that. I cannot wait for you to listen to this episode. If you enjoy it, leave us a rating and review so more people can find it. And guess what? Alex has agreed to come back on the show. So if you love this episode, you're going to get to hear more from her soon. All right. Enjoy my conversation with Alex Caspero. 
Well, today on the podcast, we have Alex Caspero on the show. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thanks so much for having me, Lindsay. Well, I am so excited. I've been following Plant Based Juniors on Instagram for a while. A couple years ago, I was like, I'm going to go more plant-based. We've been vegetarian for a long time. And um, I don't know if you guys showed up on an ad or like somebody, you know, recommended you or what, but I found you guys and I've been following along and you guys are putting out such great information. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's been really fun. And really, we're just putting out things that we think is interesting to our ourselves and our own kids. So we're like, oh, someone else might find this interesting as well. Okay, Alex. So tell us, we'll get to plant-based juniors, but let's learn okay. a little bit about your life. I know you live in St. Louis now, but where'd you come from? Yeah. What brought you there? Yeah. So before this, we were in California. Uh, I moved out there actually for grad school and met my husband, was out there for almost a decade, loved it. Uh, my husband works in recreation, in university recreation. So he got a job opportunity in St. Louis and we decided, you know, let's let's try the Midwest for a little bit. He's from Wisconsin, so it felt like it was getting a little bit closer to, to his home and his family. Where at in California did you live? Sacramento. Okay. Yeah, you're making yeah, a big change yeah. coming to St. Louis. Big change. <laughs> big change. And I'll tell you, I can't wait to get back to California someday. Uh, but right now, we're, we're definitely make the, making the most of our sort of Midwest adventure. Oh, I love it. Okay, so you obviously went to school to be a dietitian. You're a dietitian. What did you do before yes. Plant Pays Juniors? Yeah, a little bit of everything. So went to school to be a dietitian, went to grad school. So my, my master's is actually in exercise physiology. I thought I was going to be a sports dietitian. That was always sort of something I was really interested in. Uh, did that for a few years and realized I hate working with coaches. Mm. <laughs> I loved working with athletes. I couldn't stand sort of that, that coach dynamic and feeling like there was just, there's just a lot of friction. I was working for a D1 athletic program and it was just, it just didn't seem to be the right fit. So Less there and then actually ended up working in eating disorders. So one sort of sidestep of my sports dietitian role, I found out that I really loved working with disordered eating patterns, eating disorders, which unfortunately come up a lot, especially in, in female athletes um, at the college level. And so that was something I found myself gravitating towards, went and worked there for a few years. And then I went back into the university setting and became a wellness director, a dietitian, until we moved here to St. Louis. And, you know, sort of that whole time I was uh, working on delicious knowledge. I I love cooking. I love food. Um, And so that was sort of a passion project. And then we moved to St. Louis. I I told my husband, like, I think I I think I want to start this business. You know, I've kind of been doing it for a little bit. Let's see what I can do. Um, and, And that was five years ago. So it's sort of been this, you know, little bit of little bit of this, little bit of that, and here we are now. First of all, I'm so interested in your experience with the the coaches and the D1 athletes and all that yeah. because I host a running podcast too. Yeah. So I interview athletes who have been through that system. Um, sometimes I interview coaches, and it does seem like just an extremely intense environment. It's intense. It's really intense, and and I found that. What, what I disliked about it is it felt like my, the, the nutrition voice sometimes wasn't always aligned with mm. the 
trainer voice or the coach or voice, the coach voice, or sometimes even the, the athlete voice, especially when we talk about some issues that we were having, especially along the sort of eating disorder realm. And it was like, I just knew this wasn't going to be a sustainable place that I wanted to be at for 20, 30 years. Yeah. And it was sort of like, you know, I, I like this. I'm interested. In, I'm I'll still always, I think, be interested in sports nutrition, but I knew I couldn't have a career, at least in that setting. Um, it just it just wasn't a good fit for for what I wanted to to do. Yeah, it sounds like it would be very emotionally challenging. That's exactly <laughs> how it was. Yes, yes. And I was new. You yeah, know, yeah. Also, I think yeah. it's hard to do when you're like, you know, 24, just out of grad school. And I was like, totally. but this is what the research says. Like, you know, and these people looking at me like, that's great, lady. But I've got, you know, 10 years of experience doing this. Who are you? So I think there was a, there was a lot in it. But um, I'm actually very happy it didn't work out because I'm very, very happy at, at what I'm doing now. And I don't know if, if I would have been here if I didn't leave that. Okay, so tell us a little bit about Delish Knowledge. Yeah. So uh, Delish Knowledge is sort of my my recipe collection of where I've been really putting recipes for over a decade now. I, like I said, I love to cook. I, that's always been something I've been really interested in. And when I was in grad school, I had just moved to California from Virginia and I was very homesick and having a hard time with it and, and missing, you know, my friends and my mom, especially. And so cooking was just sort of this thing I would do. I had no friends and I would just go back to my little studio apartment and cook. And it really became this this place where my intention was like, hey, I want to show you all these things I'm cooking. Let me put this online. And then from there, it just kind of blossomed into this this blog. And, you know, I think there's over like 1,200 recipes right now. So wow. it's definitely come a long way in, in, in the decade since. But, yeah, that's what it originally intended to be. And now it's sort of my my place to share not only my nutrition thoughts, but also, you know, tips and, um, and lots and lots of recipes. And by the way, Alex has a cookbook, too. An Italian cookbook, which I think is super interesting. Yeah, I, I, well, I, you know, that really came up from the idea that I love pasta Mm. and especially being in the, the eating disorder world at that time, there was such a like, oh, pasta is this like never food. And everyone was like, how can you be a dietitian and eat pasta? And it was like, hold on. Yeah. Pasta is not inherently unhealthy. It's the way that we cook it, especially here in America where we have these like giant portions and, you know, lots of, of highly caloric sauces. So my, my intent really with that book was to show like, let me show you how Italians eat pasta mm. because, you know, my, the way my grandmother cooks and the way I grew up eating, it was not these like giant indulgent portions. It was like we had pasta, you know, four or five times a week, but it was always with lots and lots of vegetables and, and other things to kind of round out the meal. And it always felt very, very healthy to me. Okay. So tell us about when you decided you wanted to jump into the whole plant-based eating and business. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I think everyone sort of has their, their own own journey. Like when I talk to the people who, who are sort of on this, some, some people just jump in and do it right away. Uh, that was definitely not the case for me in, in high school. I was never a big meat eater. So, um, I, that was not really anything that I typically liked or, or geared towards. So in high school, 
I was like, oh, I think I'm just going to stop eating meat. I didn't, I didn't like it. And I think honestly, if I were to ask myself at that point, it probably was sort of that teenage girl, like trying to, to limit calories. Um, but that was sort of my, my decision in that point. And I kind of stuck to it and I didn't, you know, like I would not eat meat, but then I would, and then I wouldn't again. And so that kind of happened for, for quite a few years. And then in college, I was dating this just like total meathead, mm. like bodybuilder, like protein <laughs> obsessed. I mean, he used to wake up in the middle of the night and eat like cans of tuna. <laughs> and it was just, anyways, we had um, a pretty tough breakup my senior year of college. And you know, when you go through a breakup and you just want something like completely new, uh-huh. like, you know, some people like change their hair, some people do like, you know, whatever. For me, it felt like the most natural thing to just be like, I- I'm really going to stop eating meat. Like, I'm done with it. <laughs> like, I needed to like distance myself as much as possible from this guy. And for whatever reason, that just like clicked. I had a girlfriend at the time who brought over the book uh, Skinny Bitch. Okay. And she was like, yes, you told me that you're not going to eat meat anymore. I think you should read this book. And I read it and it just was like this aha moment that I needed and it just, everything sort of clicked. So it's, it's a weird story, but that's, that's a lot of the, the, how it came to be. And then I kind of ebbed and flowed from there. And then I would say probably the last like 10, 12 years, I, I've really been predominantly plant-based. So just sort of naturally, cutting out, um, you know, first it was like, I, I went vegetarian and then I would kind of eat fish a little bit and then I eat a little bit more eggs and cheese. And now I sort of say that I'm mostly plant-based and I do occasionally eat eggs and cheese. Uh, my husband is from Wisconsin and he is a total cheese head mm. and tells me all the time, like you, we can do this all the time. That's great. But we are eating real pizza and I will have real cheddar cheese when I want it. And that's fine. That's that's totally our compromise. Oh, it's so good. That story makes it so much better, too. <laughs> it's it's great. I know. I sometimes want to, like, know what he's doing now and just be like, thank you so much because you have just completely changed my outlook on things. And I can't thank you enough. I hope you're not eating as much meat as you were before. But thank you. <laughs> I totally forgot about that book until you just said it. I remember that. I remember that. I never, I don't think I ever read it, but I remember like thumbing through it at like Barnes and Noble. No. And I would never recommend anyone ever read it. Like, please, that this is not an endorsement. No, no, Um, no. Terrible, terrible book. But that was sort of that, like, I mean, there were so many things I never, I never knew Uh that book kind of brought up and brought into my conscience. And Um, yeah, so I'm thankful for that, but no, that book is full of inaccuracies. Yeah. Okay. Noted. Um, well, what I love about what you guys do at plant-based juniors is that, like you said, you're plant-based, but Mm -hmm. there's no one way to do it. And you're very like open and welcoming and you're not like, we're vegan, you know? Yeah. I mean, for, for us, it was really important to be an inclusive community. And I think that's true for everything in parenting. You know, I'm, I'm very much a like, Hey, we're all doing the best we can. And we all have different stories and backgrounds and journeys. And I, I really am not into, um, or not attracted to any sort of like militant point of view for anything. You know, the moment someone tells me like, this is the only way it just kind of feels like, well, is it, you know, there's a lot of experiences and stories in that. So I think for us, 
we kind of come across where we're like, yeah, we we never claim that we're we're vegan. We are plant based, very predominantly plant based. But we also know that not everyone is there, and not everyone has to be. You know, our stance really is the fact that when you look at what the current intake patterns look like of most Americans, especially most kids. It's really processed. It's really high animal consumption. And we're trying to say there's such a benefit in adding in more plant foods, especially at an early age when palates are developing and taste preferences are developing, that even if we can try to get our kids to eat a little bit more vegetables, a little bit more fruit, a little bit more beans, legumes, whole grains, we're going to set them up for a lifetime of healthy habits. It doesn't have to be 100%. And for the vast majority of our followers, it's, it's not. And that's great to us. You know, our mission is really more plants on the plate, whatever else is on your plate. Awesome. You know, but for the most part, we think that we can have have a big change just with that one that one small message. I love that. I think that's why I think that's why you guys are doing so great, because you had people like me who we've been vegetarian forever. But I was like, mm-hmm. I really want to try to incorporate more even non-dairy Yeah. You know, and but I I didn't want to go somewhere where that was like all that it was, you know. Um, So you run this business with your friend. Talk to us about how that kind of started. Yeah, yeah, with with Whitney. So Whitney ERD, uh, you can find her on Instagram and her own sort of platform. So her and I have actually been friends for a long time. Uh, We met at a blogging conference, uh, I think back in like two. 2010 mm-hmm. and she was still a, a student in dietetics and I I was kind of blogging but not really I just wanted to go to this conference and see if the same thing I wanted to do more of and we crossed paths and just hit it off immediately um, you know really connected went to like breakfast just like hung out the whole time and then when we left we just stayed in touch and you know fast forward whatever seven years later I was, was pregnant with my son and she was pregnant with her son and we were texting all the time and just being like, hey, did you read this study or what do you think about this? And we both felt like, okay, if both of us who have you know, these degrees in nutrition are having a hard time figuring out what's, what's correct, what's the recommendation, what we're doing, we figured other parents have the same concerns and questions. And that's really how plant-based owners came to be. Yeah. You know, it's pregnancy is such a hard thing because- when you're pregnant, at least for me, I want potato chips, I want macaroni and yeah. cheese, and I want like plain bread. <laughs> oh, yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, when I first got, I mean, I remember before I was pregnant, I was like, I'm going to be this woman who just drinks like green juices all the time and salads. Like, I'm going to nourish my body. Yeah, right. That first trimester, I thank God for like frozen waffles and bag. I mean, I ate so many bagels uh-huh. and that like first eight, 10 weeks. Yes, that's all I wanted. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, this is, this is crazy. But also I think that the thing that happens when you're pregnant is for the first time you're truly responsible for someone else's life. And I tell you, I don't know, diet aside, I think every woman has sort of this like, okay, what am I doing that's going to be impactful for my child, whether that's a good habit or a bad habit. And I just think that, you know, when it comes down to overall diet, that's really what we were, we were texting about was like, I think this is safe. I think this is healthy. 
what are you reading? Because I wanted to make sure that all I was doing for my, my baby was what I, what I thought and believed and learned. And, and luckily all those answers were, were correct and it was great, but you know, there's, there is that fear. I think that's, that's really a reality for a lot of women. And so that was another thing we wanted to do with plant-based juniors was to say, Hey, if you're having these questions, we had them too. We get it. Here's what the science says. Yeah. Okay. So I want listeners to walk away with some tangible steps on, on, you know, preparing foods for their family and things like that. But I do have one more question regarding the pregnancy side of things, because, um, I'm, I'm done having babies now. I have four of four kids now and like, I'm done with that. And I, I do think I was probably pretty lazy and maybe a little bit lucky that all my kids turned out, you know, they came Uh out healthy. Um, But, you know, I took my prenatals and the folic acid and everything. So I felt like that was kind of like my saving grace. Like, well, I'm doing that, you know, like I'm taking those. But, you know, when you are having all those, like, just, I just want to eat potato chips every day. Like, it's really hard to stomach anything sometimes. So, like, what did you do to incorporate those important nutrients in your diet? Yeah. and that's true for all women, right? Yeah. I mean, what I'm going to say too is it's not just for for vegans or plant-based eaters, but you know, you talk to omnivore women who are like, I literally subsisted on French fries and bagels for whatever a couple months too. So the the biggest thing is that prenatal. Mm-hmm. You know, we we really recommend even before you conceive, if you know that you're going to be trying for for a child to take the prenatal because we don't know when exactly you're going to get pregnant. And those first few months are so important in, in neural development. So definitely take the prenatal. Honestly, that's going to cover a lot of the gaps. You know, there's a reason that we, mm-hmm. we, we push that. There's a reason we really like supplementation in pregnancy because there are those days when you're like, yeah, I know I probably should eat a salad right now or a bean taco or something with a lot more nourishment in it. But I just want a bagel and that's okay. You know, we do believe in, in honoring your body and taking the supplements. So for me, uh, it really was about what I could get down. I, I couldn't eat raw vegetables. I had, I had a lot of nausea with my son um, until like well into the second trimester. But I could handle smoothies. I could handle like cold things. So I would eat things that were like very well cooked or in smoothies. And that was a way I could get a little bit more nutrition down. So I say for for all parents, like if you can get certain things down, great. It doesn't have to be your normal diet you had before take your supplements, cover what you need to cover, but then also give yourself some grace. I think sometimes we're so hard on ourselves, all these pressures and trying to make sure we're doing everything we can. And that's not the reality for a lot of people, especially if you're dealing with, you know, a lot of pregnancy symptoms, not just nausea, but heartburn or, you know, digestive issues. So whatever, whatever you can, if you can try to find the healthier version, great, but also, your body is very forgiving. I mean, there is going to be a lot that your body is going to take from you to help with the baby. That's the first priority. And again, supplements are really key during this time. Okay. So we're going to talk in this conversation as if we're not necessarily like, yeah, we're not promoting, hey, get rid of meat in your life, but we're promoting getting more plants on your plate for yourself and your kids. So totally. let's just start with like, right when kids start eating regular foods, right? Like you're breastfeeding or giving formula for the first year of their life, however long you do that. So individual, I know. Yeah. But I personally did a lot of pureeing and like a great job introducing these vegetables to my first son. 
Uh-huh. And even a little bit to my second, but I'm going to just tell everybody that when my third came around, he was getting Cheerios and lots of ready-made stuff that was just like easy for him to just put in his mouth that I didn't have to worry about him choking or, or I didn't have to make. Yeah. So look, um, my three and four, their first foods were not anything I'm super proud of, but I want to talk to our listeners and like arm them with some knowledge for ways they can not just throw them Cheerios for every meal. <laughs> and you know, sometimes it happens. I'm on my second right now. And I tell you, I'm like, Oh my gosh, compared even to the first, I'm like, you're definitely a second child. Like, <laughs> yeah. just, I mean, it, it is what it is. And you know, I also will say too, there, there's a lot of forgiveness in this, you know, I mean, I think that that's one thing I'm really passionate about telling parents is I feel like sometimes there's such this like perfection uh, message that gets talked about, especially on Instagram and, and, and how we're feeding our kids. And like, again, things are very forgiving. It is what we do over the long period of time that makes a difference, not these individual days or even weeks sometimes. And that's true with pregnancy too, but yes, especially with feeding kids. Yeah. And I, and I put that disclaimer on there just so that everybody listening knows too, like, Hey, like just cause we're going to talk about these things doesn't mean I've done this one, two, three, four times. This is like uh-huh. what, you know, this, this is knowledge I want to arm people with so that they, if they want to pursue this, they can. So what are the first kind of steps you would um, advise someone who is introducing their child to food that's not milk or, or uh, formula, breast milk or formula? Yeah. So if we're talking around sort of the, the six month age, five, six months, and parents start to introduce solids for the first time, I'm not so concerned about what foods you're offering, but I am concerned about nutrients because there are specific nutrients that we need to make sure that we're giving kids at that young age. Sometimes you hear the, 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 the phrase like food for one is just two before one is just for fun. And that's kind of true. We definitely want to introduce different flavors, different textures, but we also want to make sure that kids are getting nutrients that breast milk in particular doesn't always offer after that kind of six months um, period, and especially things like iron, zinc, etc. So that's really where this whole concept of introducing a lot of like meat or iron fortified cereal comes in, because our, our babies store enough iron from in utero until about four to six months, and then they have to get it from the diet to help supplement. And so that's why you'll see a lot of push for more meat, iron-fortified uh, formula, but, but you don't have to do that if you don't want to. So uh, we were big fans of, of iron-fortified cereal if that works with your kids. Um, we did a lot of like beans, a lot of different vegetables, fruits. I think the big thing that we always say is making sure to pair something with iron with something with vitamin C, but also introducing lots of foods. Uh, sort of that, that six months until about 18 months for some kids is what we consider to make the honeymoon period. That is when most babies are going to be really accepting of a lot of different foods, way more so than they're going to be after that when sort of that picky eating and behavior issues are to develop. So the more that you can introduce different textures, different flavors, I think is one of the biggest things I want to tell parents. Like, don't shy away from spices. Don't shy away from things you don't think that your kids will eat because they're not considered 
kid food, mm-hmm. that's the, this is the time to get them in. I'm not saying they're always going to love beets, but they're probably going to like them a lot more at 10 months than they are at two years old. Because by two, they've already kind of developed their preferences and their palates. So that early feeding time, I think, is really critical to say if, if, if you want your child to eat more vegetables, more fruits, more whole grains, whatever sort of you deem as these, these healthier foods, that's the time to introduce them often and introduce them in different ways. Okay, so let's give everybody a, a example, some more examples of iron-rich foods and then vitamin C-rich foods that we can pair them with so that we have an idea. Like, I'm giving my child, um, you know, like a bean, you know, bean, black beans and... I, I guess I'm really bad at this with knowing what little people can eat. You wouldn't think that I had four kids, right? Um, but <laughs> say we're talking even one-year-old, two-year-old, whatever. What are yes. iron-rich foods we can pair with vitamin C-rich foods so that we know we're getting yeah, that yeah. absorption? So, yep. Yeah, so iron in particular, think about – I want parent, parents to think about things like beans and things like greens, right? So especially beans. A lot of people will say, well, how do I serve beans besides just giving them a bean? Um, And you can do that. There are definitely days I open a can of beans, rinse them, and throw them on the tray. Um, I do a lot of like mini bean meatballs or kind of like burger patties. So if you think about you're going to be making a veggie burger, it's the exact same concept. We just now shape them into tiny little meatballs for little hands or make them into burgers for the whole family and then just cut the baby or the toddler portion to either strips or little squares. I definitely find with kids, dipping is something they really enjoy doing. And so with little kind of meatballs and and strips, they can kind of dip and explore certain sauces to to make it more fun. So that's that's one of the ways we do it. Um, I'm also a big fan of, just to make it really easy, the lentil or legume-based pastas that are now out on the market. They're essentially just like lentil flour or chickpea flour that is made into a pasta shape. So if you're thinking, there's no way I'm gonna get my kid to eat a bean, try that in a in the pasta. It kind of has a similar texture, but you're also getting iron, you're getting protein, you're getting fiber, all the benefits of eating the whole lentil or the bean, but obviously in a, in a pasta, which some kids might find a lot more appealing. Um, Real question, oh, one sorry. question about the iron. What is a number we're looking for as far as how many grams for, or milligrams, how much iron they should? Yeah, like, yeah milligrams, yeah. So it, it it varies varies by the, the age. So sort of that six months, seven months until about 12 months tends to be the highest. We want to see about 11 milligrams of iron a day. And that's a lot. You know, an ounce of beef in a in a baby jar is going to be about one milligram. So wow. I don't know any baby that's eating eleven cans or jars of of beef um, per day if they are eating animals or even eating beans in that amount. I mean, that's just not possible. And so. I think that's why there's such this hyper focus on iron during that time. Um, but but that's why we're, we're really talking to parents about making sure they're including iron rich sources in every single meal. And again, why I'm totally okay with iron fortified like oat cereal, because it does help to meet those gaps, especially in babies who have feeding issues or who have a hard time um, getting in enough food, which can be a challenge depending on what's going on with baby. So that's sort of that six to 12 month, it definitely drops off after that. 
that. Um, seven, to, I mean, one years old to about three, we're looking to about seven to nine milligrams of iron. So still, still something to, to consider. We want to make sure parents are offering iron-rich foods at every meal, both for the omnivore baby and for the plant-based baby. But you don't have to be, I think, as concerned as you you are um, during that sort of seven to twelve months. And I will say, it's why iron is the most. Uh, you know, iron deficiency is oh, yeah. the most nutrient deficiency across all kids. This is not a plant-based issue. It's an issue for, for all kids. I think the more that we talk about it, um, you know, the more parents hopefully can be armed with the idea that they, they do need to be working and focusing on certain foods to make sure their kids are getting enough of them. Uh, one last thing I will say is that pairing a vitamin C source. So think about vitamin C, not just like citrus fruits, but most berries, potatoes, cauliflower. I mean, vitamin C is going to be honestly in plenty of fruits and vegetables. But if we can pair a vitamin C source with iron, that helps to increase that non-heme iron found in plant foods by about four to six times, which is a lot. So because when you're eating meat, iron rich food through meat, it's the different kind of iron. So you don't need help with the absorption as much. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So iron that is in meat is called heme iron, and it's it's more easily absorbed. So that's why you know we we do talk about meat as being a really good source of iron, and it is because it's more highly absorbable. The the way to get around that eating a plant based source is because if you add that that citrus food, it keeps it in that absorbable state, and therefore you're able to absorb it at a higher level. So so you know we want to arm parents, especially if you're eating both animals and plants offer both but if you are offering those plant-based foods really making sure you're also pairing it with a source of vitamin c okay so then the next two things i feel like are probably asked about a lot when you're talking plant-based feeding uh for your kids is is how do they get enough protein i mean we get that as adults all the time as vegetarians how do you get enough protein um and then people concerned about calcium so let's talk about those two things a little bit Yeah, perfect. Okay, so let's talk about protein first. So one thing I always like to remind everyone is that protein is not a food group. Protein is in pretty much all food at some level, right? So even broccoli contains protein. Spinach contains protein. We don't consider those to be amazing sources, but they do contain some. And so when we're talking about a toddler who needs about 18 or so grams of protein a day, it is fairly easy if they're eating a wide variety of plant foods to to get enough of that. You know, a half cup of oats is going to be five grams of protein. One cup of soy milk is going to be eight grams of protein. You know, you can see how you can sort of easily eating even even not even touching a bean um, is going to easily add up to that amount. But Again, we want to make sure that we are we are offering those those foods. And I say that for kids especially because I think with adults, it's much easier to be able to say, okay, I know I need to eat these kind of foods to get those nutrients, and we make a conscious effort to do that. With kids, when it comes to feeding issues or picky eating or selective preferences, it's a lot harder sometimes to say, hey, you need to eat this. And there sometimes are are battles within that. So I tell parents all the time, you know, figure out which foods your kids like and make sure you're offering those. Offer new ones alongside of that. But if you know that your child really loves, let's say, soy milk and you can get in two cups a day, 
that's 16 grams of protein right there. You don't have to worry about it in the rest of the food because they're going to get it through, through other things. And so I think that's a that's an easy strategy for parents to not feel like, oh my gosh, I have to make sure they're getting this and that and that. No, the key is making sure you're offering a variety, but also focusing on staples that you know your kids are going to like and enjoy. Okay, compare that to a glass of cow's milk, like eight ounces of cow's milk. Pretty much the same thing. Okay. I think cow's milk is eight grams of protein too. Uh, when it comes to one-to-one to, to to one, um, comparisons, okay. so when we talk about cow's milk, we really want to make sure a non-dairy option is going to be something like a soy or a pea milk. Those are the most comparable when it comes to protein, uh, a little bit closer to fat and calories compared to, let's say, almond milk, which has about one gram of protein. It's just not a nutrient-dense enough source that we would recommend it for toddlers. Great for adults, great for other populations, not for kids when we do need to worry about, okay, you have X amount of sort of bites in the day that you're willing to take. I need to make sure that most of those are going to be nutrient-dense. And if you're filling up on almond milk, you're not filling up on calories, you're not getting enough protein, it's just not going to be as good of a choice as a soy or a protein or or a pea milk. Yeah, okay, so then... um when you're talking about the one-to-one ratio, that goes along the lines of calcium and fat as well? For, for most of them. Okay. So most products on the market are fortified. So okay. if we want to dive into the calcium thing as well, and, and we always, I, I really recommend a fortified option when it comes to, to plant-based milks. All okay. that means is that the manufacturer has taken that non-dairy milk and added a calcium carbonate to it to add in calcium like it would be found in a cow's milk. And the reason is because, like I said before, you can technically get all of your 700 milligrams of calcium that you need at two years old through whole foods, but that's very difficult if you have a toddler who doesn't like broccoli, who isn't down with eating, you know, oranges and sesame seeds and collard greens and tofu and all these other really abundant sources of calcium in plant-based foods. For an adult, that's possible easily. For a child who has a smaller appetite and might be a lot more picky, I think the safest option is to choose a fortified milk because most kids enjoy milk and you can give it to them one, two times a day and you're going to be giving them the exact same amount of calcium that's going to be found in a cow's milk. Okay. Um, listeners, I feed my kids cow's milk. So if you feed your kids cow's milk, we're not shaming you at all. (laughs) Yes, no, no, no. And, and I say that too, you know, a lot of parents say things like my kid doesn't tolerate dairy well, or I have an allergy. And so it's not just about choosing not to, to drink cow's milk. You know, it's, it can be opting out for other reasons. And we do want to make sure if you are doing that, that you're choosing an option that's going to be as nutritionally comparable to cow's milk. I would like to transition to a pea milk or something like that, but right now I'm just terrified because I'm like, I don't want to deal with the wrath of them being upset about not having their cow's milk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's so funny too. So my my in-laws are like, they, they used to be dairy farmers or not anymore, but you know, they drink cow's milk and, and up there in Wisconsin, you get milk by like the bag. Uh-huh. So anyways, when we're, when we're up there, uh, my, my son will drink cow's milk and he always like loves it. Oh, he does. And he'll be like, oh my gosh, this, this milk is so good. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so does he have a hard time going what do you guys do pea milk what do you do um so so we do mostly soy milk um he doesn't really like the pea milk as much okay. he, he does like his soy milk for sure but I know when he's getting sort of the, the cow's milk there's that like 
oh, this is delicious. I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> farm down the street, a whole cow's milk. Like it does taste much richer and different. Uh-huh. Than milk. I know there is that difference. But um, yeah, he I mean, I'm I'm very much of the idea that like I I serve him those foods at home, but when he's at his in-laws, whatever, you know, it's, I don't want to ever make him feel restricted. Sure. That's my eating disorder background and I'm very conscious of that. And so, um, you know, he's, he's able to, to make his own choices when he goes up there too. I feel the same way for sure. I'm, I don't sometimes like when my kids go to my in-laws, my sister-in-laws, I'm like, I have no idea what they're eating, but it's fine. It's fine. And I get, and I, we get McDonald's sometimes. So, you know, it is what it is. A quick break here, everybody. I want to let you know that Alex has given you all a code if you want to shop around on their website and check out any of their cookbooks or anything they have to offer, any of their courses or resources. Um, If you want to purchase any products on their site, you can use the code Lindsay to get 15% off your order. They actually recently came out with a batch cook ebook, and you can get 15% off that when you use the code Lindsay. I have the batch cook ebook, and it is very good. So check it out, plantbasedjuniors.com. If you are loving this podcast, check out the other podcasts in the Sandy Boy Productions Network. I'll have another with Lindsay Hine and the Up and Running podcast with Lauren and Abby. If you're into running at all, those are great podcasts for that. And then we also have the Illuminate podcast where myself, along with some other co-hosts, interview people who are doing really cool work in the world, a lot of social entrepreneurs, people working for nonprofits, and people who are just looking to make this world a better place. It's a great, uplifting podcast over there. All right. Enjoy the rest of my conversation with Alex. Okay. So let's give our listeners some tangible takeaways for like how they can incorporate some simple Uh plant-based meals into their everyday routine. Because I think where I personally at least get hung up, I will start the week and I'll be like, okay, I'm going to meal plan. I'm going to do this. And then it's five o'clock and I'm like, oh, here's some Annie's macaroni. And your dad and I are going to have our own thing, you know? So it's just what's easy. And so I would love to give some ideas for how to make this as simple as possible. Yeah, totally. And I will say I'm all about easy. I'm the same way, you know, like I, I love to cook, but I have two kids under three and there's no way I've got more than like 20 minutes to get dinner on the table. And even that is like a good night when Daniel Tiger's on. So I totally totally get it. Um, yeah. So, so one thing I will say too, is I'm, I'm very much of the mindset of like, start where you are and then figure out where you can make small changes. I know there are people that can make these huge leaps overnight, but for most of us, small changes feel really good. They feel really manageable and not more importantly, they feel really sustainable. So for example, one of my favorite easy to go recipes is my lentil tacos. And if you can make ground beef tacos or ground turkey tacos, you can make lentil tacos. It's essentially the exact same thing. You're going to be sauteing an onion. You're going to be adding in a pound of cooked lentils, just like you would if you're going to be adding in any other kind of meat. And you're going to be adding in taco seasoning. If you want to get fancy and make your own taco seasoning, more power to you. But open up a, a you know packet of that, sprinkle it in, maybe add a little bit of salsa if you want some more like tomatoey sauce in there, 
and that's it. And we eat those probably twice a week because they are so easy. I feel like most kids love tacos. My son gets so excited for taco night. You know, for parents, we can put them over like lettuce to make a salad. Leftovers taste great. And I think that's a really sort of like easy entry point if you've only ever had lentils in a soup. So you, when you say cooked lentils, this is maybe a silly sounding questions, but I never buy lentils and I'm not against them. Like I, I will eat something with lentils in it. If I'm somewhere else, I just never use them myself. Are you buying them cooked in a can or what? So, so you can buy them, you can buy them in a can, um, just like canned beans. You can find them in a can. I find the the easiest way and to be honest, the cheapest way is just to buy them in a dry bag. Um, even like a good like organic brand of lentils is going to be like $1.50 for a pound. So the nice thing about lentils is compared to other dry beans, you don't have to soak them. So you can literally okay. open them, throw them in uh, boiling water, and they're done in like 25 minutes. Personally, we talk about meal prep. I usually make about a pound or two of lentils at a time during the beginning of the week because I know I can add them to salads. I can mix them with like a little bit of pesto and throw them with pasta and give that to my son one day for lunch. I mean, it's really sort of an easy way to sprinkle in a little bit of cooked lentils here and there for extra protein, extra fiber, extra iron, extra zinc. Um, Beans and legumes to me have just so much nutrition in them and I always want to make it as easy as possible. But again, if you're hesitant on lentils and you've never had it before, I think the vegan lentil tacos is a really sort of nice introduction to, to how they taste. That is the thing, too, because we buy beans and can, like black beans, pinto beans, whatever. Yeah. And I know it's A, cheaper, and B, there's not like whatever they put in the cans of, of stuff. Like I know it's just healthier to just get the bag and cook it. But I'm always like I feel like I can never get my beans totally cooked enough if I do the whole like soaking and and boiling do you ever do beans like that I do I do but not often I will say the instant pot is a game changer okay I yeah if you've got an instant pot or even a slow cooker that is the key to me to making beans because you don't have to soak them for the instant pot and for my slow cooker I can put it on and let it do its thing all day long Um, but lentils, you don't have to do any of that. You can literally think, okay, I've got to get dinner here in 30 minutes, open a bag and cook them. But for dry beans, they taste a lot better if you soak them first. You can get around that, but I think the instant pot is key because you can have those done fairly soon. Um, but yeah, they're, they're a little bit more of a pain and truly I tend to buy more canned beans than I do making them from dry. Okay. Walk me through this real quick. I can't be the only one wondering a bag of beans and an Instapot. Yes. What do I do? Go. Okay. So, so I, I, you can soak them if you want. The one thing I will say about the Instant Pot is it gets a high enough pressure that I don't think you have to always soak them. That is not true when you cook them on the stove or when you cook them in a slow cooker. People will say, oh, you can do a quick soak method. I always find when I do that with my beans and cook them in a slow cooker or on the stove, they just don't come out as tender as I want. They're always a little bit hard, and I think that the soaking really helps you there. So this is not for that. For the Instant Pot, you throw them into the the base of the Instant Pot, cover with water. I add a little bit of oil, just a smidge. And that's because, you know, in your instant pot, sometimes the water can like fizz up in the the valve release. The oil helps prevent any foaming. And then you can add in spices. If I'm making like 
chili beans, I'll throw in, you know, oregano, chili powder, papri, whatever, and then latch it. And then on most instant pots, you can just push the bean setting, walk away and you're done. Really? You can do, yeah, it's, it's really great. I, I say the instant pot has changed the game. I think when it comes to cooking dry beans, it still is going to take more time than opening a can of beans. But if you like beans, it's a really nice way to do it. And when I have time, I will make a big batch and then I'll freeze them in like little individual sandwich bags so I can just have them, you know, straight from the freezer, pull it out, defrost it, add it to soups, add it to, you know, whatever kind of dish I'm making. So you don't need to soak them at all if you do the Instant Pot. You just don't need to. If you do the Instant Pot. If you do the Instant Pot. Okay. Do you think they taste better that way? Like, do you think they taste better than out of the can? dry, 100%. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And if I'm really getting fancy, I'll saute like an onion and a bell pepper first. And then then put the beans in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I always say things I did before my daughter and things I do after my daughter. Baby too. (laughs) Oh, for sure. (laughs) You know what, though? Like, I have time to do that stuff. I just stand in the kitchen and like twiddle my thumbs and I'm like, what do I do? You know? And so it's like, I just need the direction. So, okay. We're going to add lentils to the list. Okay. Let's do, so vegan lentil tacos. We're going to link that in the show notes. So there's your, there's your Monday recipe of the week, everybody, and then make extra lentils so you can sprinkle them on your salads. Um, and we're hoping the kids will eat these. Do you have tips for getting the, like, I think that my two-year-old would eat them. I know that my three-year-old won't. Um, yeah. And I, maybe my. Why? Big, Do you think it's because they're new? Yes. And he, and, and this is partial, this is because we threw him Cheerios, you know, his whole, you know, first few years of his life. He eats, listen, he eats peanut butter and jelly. He eats kids cliff Great. bars. And like, that's about it. Like I can't get the kid to eat anything. Yeah. So, so I will say this for all foods and this might be helpful for, for any parent who's like, Oh yeah, yep. Mine too. Is it takes a long time for some kids and, and most kids to be introduced to new foods. So what I hear a lot from parents is they'll say things like, Oh, I gave it to them once they didn't like it. And so that's our feedback to say like, no, they don't like it yet. It might take a dozen times and trust me, nothing is more annoying when you're like, I serve this all the time. You don't like it. A dozen times feels like forever when they're telling you they don't like something. But if they, that doesn't mean they don't like it. It just means it takes a lot of exposure. It could take 12. It could take 15 times. So I tell parents, if this is part of your family meal, you keep offering it okay? because if that's a food that you want them to, to like, or at least thinks normal, there's never any pressure. I never recommend pressuring kids to eat or making them eat anything. That's really important. They are their own individuals. They are irresponsible for what's going into their body. But if you are offering it often and they don't eat it the first couple of times, don't get discouraged. I know that's hard to do keep offering, you know, so offer something they do like and offer a taste of something new. And hopefully, eventually, they'll take a bite of it. And maybe one day they'll even like it. So okay, that's, that's an interesting point you bring up, because I've always wondered, you know, there are certain schools of thought, and I and I love that you say, like, there's no one way to do it. But there are Mm -hmm. certain schools of thought that they're like, they have to taste every single thing before they leave the table. And I'm always kind of like, 
I can't, I'm not going to get into a fight, you know, like a, you have to, or this, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to play those games. Like I'm going to offer it. And I got to be honest, I'm pretty lazy about it with my three-year-old because at this point we're just like, just make Russ a peanut butter and jelly and we'll all eat. But do you recommend, and for your family, do you, you just always offer, always offer and encourage yeah. So not even encouraged. So I, I'm a big uh, believer of this, this school of, of thought called the division of responsibility in eating. And it was developed by an eating therapist, dietitian. And the idea kind of is that parents are responsible for what we're offering and parents are responsible for when, but the, the child is responsible for if they want to eat it and how much. And I think that in, in, for me, that's always clicked, especially with my background, of I don't ever want my my kid to feel pressured because you're right. It's not about trying the new food. It's about the power game that happens after. And so, so many parents tell me things like mealtime is so miserable. Dinner time is such a struggle. And when they take away that that power, it doesn't have to be that way, right? So when parents say, okay, I am responsible for cooking dinner tonight. My child is responsible for if they want to eat and how much they want to eat. It's actually very freeing because there is no no pressure, I think, on the parent to be like, oh, they have to eat this. They didn't eat enough. How much they eat? It's like, oh, no, your child's not going to self-starve. Yeah. They will eat if they are hungry. They will eat the foods they want. There have been many meals where my son has only eaten strawberries from the plate. And that's okay. You know, nutrition's a long game. It's not about what we're eating every single meal. If he only ate strawberries for dinner, is that amazing? No. Do I care? Not at all. Okay. I love that. So I guess my biggest fear with, um, well, two things. One, you off, you're, you're responsible for cooking dinner, offering mm-hmm. whatever you have, but if they refuse to eat any of it, do you offer them something different? I, I don't. But okay. so here's what I will say with that is I try to always offer one food I know they like. Okay. So for instance, the other night I was making this like quinoa enchilada bake and it had a lot of veggies in it. And I thought there's probably a 10% chance that my son's going to take a bite of this. Okay. So, but that's what I wanted to have for dinner. So I made that for dinner. I also served broccoli and strawberries and he had for dinner broccoli and strawberries. Did he have any iron? No. Did he have any protein? Not really, but that's okay because there are other foods of the, there are other meals of the day that he can make that up. So I'm not that stressed about it. But what I will do after that is he doesn't get anything different that meal, but let's say in two hours or so, or an hour after dinner, I might offer a bedtime snack okay. and see if you want something like that. And, and the reason I say to make it separate is because we don't want to teach our kids that they can refu- refuse food and then we're going to cook something else for them. Yes. But if you feel like they might be hungry, because so many parents are like, but what if they go to bed yes. hungry? Okay, so so for the first thing, hunger is okay. It's not, it, it happens. You know, we've all been hungry sometimes. But also, if you offer that, that meal separate from the dinner, it makes the child feel like, I'm still going to get food again. I have another chance to eat if I want. And you can do the bedtime snack of a PBJ, a bowl of cereal, whatever you want that your kids, you know your kids will, will eat and like. 
but it's not connected to dinner. So they're not learning, no big deal. I cannot eat this at dinner and I still will get whatever I want later. We, we never want food to be conditional or something like if you eat this, then you get that. It's why I'm not a big fan at all of like rewarding with desserts. Like if you eat this, great, no. but it's not at all tied to what your next meal or snack should be. Yes, I love that. I know. And it's like, let's move from the 1960s school of thought that you have to clean your plate. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Well, and also we, there's a lot of research in that kids really learn their hunger and fullness cues very early on. And every time you tell your, your kids like finish this or or try this or eat more, or come on a few more bites, it overrides that natural process they have of how much they want to eat and how much they need for their bodies. And I think most parents would be surprised of how little their kids actually need. Mm. When we talk about like stomach size and how much volume they actually need to feel full, it is not as much as, as we may think. And it's also why kids might eat a huge breakfast and kind of be peckish throughout the rest of the day. They're okay. Um, kids, kids are not going to, if they're hungry, they're going to tell you and they're going to eat when they're hungry. If they're not really eating and they're not, you know, they're, they're going to be okay. They'll make up for it the next meal. So I, I never really worry about how much they're eating unless the growth chart suggests otherwise. But for the most part, kids appetites change all the time, day to day, week to week. It's nothing to really stress about unless they're losing weight. Yeah. I mean, I think that this might make me sound like a selfish parrot, but like my fear with them going to bed hungry isn't really that I'm like, oh no, he's hungry. It's that I'm like, I don't want you waking me up at one in the morning telling me you're hungry. Right. Yeah, totally. And that's why I say like on nights like that, I will definitely offer a bedtime snack of like, Hey, let's have a bowl of cereal before we go to bed. Just because I know cereal is always going to be exciting. Yeah. And, and it's like, at least he's getting a little bit of something. But yes, if you're the parent that's hearing this and thinking like, oh, I always offer something else. If you don't want to do that, yeah. you don't have to. There will be some resistance at first. But I think that it's also, you know, kids are resilient. If they start to realize this is sort of the new rules of the roost, then they there's some friction at first. And then they they get that this is sort of the new normal. It takes a lot of pressure off, too. I mean, I'm pretty sick of making separate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for Russell, who, are, who is our number three. Like, I, we'll have dinner done, and we'll be like, what did we make for Russ? You know? Because yeah. everybody else will pick and, and choose. But I love the idea that, like, just focus on maybe always offering one thing. One thing. That yeah. you know will be a piece of the meal that, that totally. they'll eat. Yeah, and so I also, just to touch on the if you eat this, you can have that type of thing. I think that's super common. I I think about this a lot. I hear parents saying, well, like you can have the ice cream if you finish Mm -hmm. your sandwich. And I don't do that, but sometimes I'm like, well, I need you to eat a couple bites of the like food that's providing you with some nutrition before you eat the dessert. So how do you handle that? Yeah. So, so in my mind, I like to, so, so my stance on desserts is that I don't want them to be any more special than anything else because I don't want to put dessert on this like pedestal of a reward of a pedestal of, I did something good. So I get that a pedestal of, Oh, I have to go through this thing to get to that thing. And so the reason I don't like tying it together is because it teaches kids, you must do this to do that, especially when we're talking about hunger, hunger cues, right? So Dessert does take up space in our bellies, even though it might not be the most nutrient rich option. But if we're telling our kids we have to first fill up on this 
before they can get more food, it, it can likely override that natural mm. inclination of like, how much food do I actually need? Yep. And the other thing that I will say about desserts, I feel like a lot of parents, and I get this, trust me, I get this, that this dessert is like, you know, this this really nervous thing, we can only have it here or there, it has to be really special for us to have it. But I think the more that we can like chill on the idea that dessert is this really cool, special thing we only get on occasion and make it more like, yeah, we're going to have dessert tonight. You know, we're going to just open up these these boxes of popsicles. We're going to go have ice cream tonight and make it just sort of like we would any other meal. Our kids don't don't get the sense of, oh, this is really cool. This is way different than broccoli. You know, obviously it tastes different, but if we keep hyping it up, there's going to be such an emotional connection to that food. And we don't we don't want that. We want to, to sort of limit as much emotional eating in a sense around special foods, because what happens usually is they feel like this is a food I never get. I'm kind of restricted against it. And when I do have it, I need to eat as much as I can and kind of binge on it. And so we're trying to take that, take that pressure away. You know, sometimes I recommend even offering dessert with dinner. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I love that. I mean, we did that last night. It was my son's second birthday and we had a birthday cake for him and we were all kind of like eating everything at once. And I, I ate like half of the like dinner food I would normally eat because I wanted room for the dessert. Yeah. Like I wanted. And so as you're saying that to me, I'm thinking through like, well, why would we make them finish that if as an adult I'm eating half of the pasta so that I don't feel sick when I eat all of the cake. To want to, yeah. And and I think that there's there's lessons in that too, right? So with dessert, I, I tell parents a lot, like, you know, offer it like you would offer it, right? So I don't eat dessert every single night, but when I do, it's, it's not a huge deal. Like, yeah. oh, I'm going to go grab a cookie. I'm going to go have a little bit of this. And I try to have the same attitude with my son. Like, oh, you want a cookie tonight? Great, cool. So he knows that he gets to have these foods somewhat often, but not all the time. And every now and then let them go hog wild, like let the kids eat as many cookies as they want, as much ice cream as they want, because they also learn that it doesn't feel that good. Yes. And they also learn self regulation. And that's what we want. We want to teach our kids, especially as they start to develop more independence around their own eating habits, that they are able to eat what they want. But again, it takes away that like, excitement that like foreign forbidden food and I think that if anyone has ever been a dieter in the past you know that feeling and we don't want to push that on our kids and that's why I'm really sort of talk a lot about like not chaining foods not having them be these like big special rare moments but trying to to approach ice cream the exact same way you would approach a lentil taco I love it that's so good. Well, there's so many more directions and so many more deep ways we could go with this, but um, we'll have to do another podcast if you're up for it. Yes. Let's do one more recipe and then we'll wrap up with some into the podcast questions and we'll put links okay, to all cool. the recipes and everything in the show notes. So I'll let you choose what recipe to recommend. Yeah. So um, one thing that I really, I really love are my tofu nuggets. Um, another thing I hear a lot from parents and, and anyone in general is like tofu, meh. What do I do? And I get it. The first time I ever bought tofu, it sat in my fridge until it went bad. And then I threw it away. And then I bought it again. And it went bad. <laughs> and it took like three or four times before I had the the confidence to even just like open it up. I had no idea what to do with this thing. So I, I get that. Um, but if you're looking for a recipe that is kid friendly, that is family friendly, and still sort of in that 
not weird, this is now tofu for dinner kind of uh, idea. My tofu nuggets, I think, kind of check the boxes. So they're essentially lightly breaded and then baked crispy little tofu nuggets. Taste a lot like a chicken nugget. I show them with like a dipping sauce. That's sort of my copycat like Chick-fil-A kind of like honey barbecue mustard sauce. And it's a really nice way to introduce tofu. But again, you're not introducing it in a way that might not be palatable to all kids. Um, so yeah, that's one I would definitely recommend. I love that. That sounds so good. I'm going to have, see, I say I stand frozen in the kitchen. This is when I give the recipe to my husband and I say, will you try this tonight? Yeah, right. And I would say if you throw them in an air fryer, if you have one, it also makes them like super crispy and just sort of that like nugget kind of taste way more than the oven will be. Okay. Here's another thing we're going to put in the show notes. We're going to put Alex's top like three to five kitchen items to have to make this plant-based eating easier. And one is going to be the Instapot. You know, everybody's been talking about the Instapot forever. And I, I have yet to do it because I'm like, well, we don't even eat meat. Do we need it? Blah, blah, blah. And now I'm convinced because of the beans. Yeah. I, I really love mine. And I tell you, I have, I mean, I, my husband is constantly like, okay, pick an appliance to donate. Like yeah. this is, ridiculous. <laughs> um, but the instant pot comes out quite a bit and especially the newer ones where they have like slow cooker functions and the whole like instant pot like I got rid of my slow cooker yeah so I just have my instant pot so wait for the Amazon the Black Friday whatever sale but they're I think they're like I don't know a hundred bucks right now sometimes even less if I don't model you get if you eat beans if you eat chili even if you eat meat whatever I think they pay for themselves over and over again because you're just able to throw dinner in set it and, and walk away that's awesome I think it's time I think it's time for the Heinz. Um, okay, Alex. Well, thank you for doing this. Let's wrap up with my end of the podcast questions here. What's something professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done? Um, yeah, I I really want to do some type of uh, cooking show with my kids. Oh, fun. I saw on your Instagram, I was actually watching it as I, we were like waiting to hop on the call. You guys are making the smoothie. Oh, yeah. yeah. What's in the smoothie? Tell fun. us what's in your smoothie, your breakfast smoothie. Um, yeah, so and this is the smoothie I will say we probably eat every day. So some type of green, usually spinach. Sometimes it's kale. Sometimes I get you know whatever, and I'll throw in like a mustard or a collard greens. But sometimes green, uh, a frozen banana, and that is key because it really gives it that like creamy kind of milkshake consistency. Uh, a little bit of nut butter, chia seeds usually. Sometimes I'll do hemp, but mostly chia seeds. Uh, milk of choice. I usually do a, a fortified soy milk just to get the calcium like we talked about before, some more protein. Um, and then any kind of berry that you want. So the berry just kind of has a little bit of sweetness to help balance the greens. I love like mango is great, strawberries, raspberries, and then a little touch of cinnamon. And that's it. Okay. It's delicious. Even if you're like, there's no way I would like a kale smoothie, you don't even taste it. I promise you. See, I make smoothies with my kids and I put protein powder in it. Are you against that? I'm not, I'm not against it. I personally do not like the taste of it. I okay. like, I tried so many and I'm like, no, I, I just can't do this. But chia seeds surprisingly are a great source of protein as are like hemp seeds. So if you wanted a a different option you could do that but yeah protein okay. powder is fine I just didn't know if like there was something weird about giving protein powder to to kids it's like a vegan protein powder okay cool yeah I got the approval from the dietitian <laughs> uh well I look forward to your cooking show that'll be fun what's the best most recent book you've read um I read a lot actually and I just finished uh nothing to see here uh, by Kevin Wilson did you read that no but I've been recommended a lot 
It's so funny. I mean, it's one of those books where I like laughed out loud, snorted, laughed. It was, it was good. Okay. It's on my list. What's your favorite cookbook? Um, that's a great question. I really love, uh, Issa does it. It's, um, I, I think I'm saying her name, right? It's, uh, Issa Chandra. I'm not even going to pretend to pronounce her last name, but she is the author of like post-punk kitchen. She's got modern love recipes in Omaha and in Brooklyn and her like weeknight vegan recipe book is my go-to. I think I've made every recipe in there. Okay. Easter does it. I'm going to listen. It's it's ISA. I think it's Issa. Okay. Issa. Okay. Don't come for me, people. I'm sorry if I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Again, links to all these will be in our show notes. Okay. Coffee, tea, or cocktail with someone fun, motivating, or inspiring? Who is it? Yeah, I I love Oprah. Uh, and me I, too. I, I like, I mean, I, especially in grad school, I watched her show like every single day. It was like I would come home, I like DVR'd at that point, and I would like have dinner with like my girl, and I, I love her. I love her. She can do no wrong. I, I'm telling you what, anytime I've had like a live show for a podcast, I will listen to Oprah's. Super, like even if it's an episode I've already heard I'm like I just need like her wisdom in like yes. in my head and the calmness and I remember like leaving class early in college to get home to watch to it. go watch it yes because I didn't have like I don't even know if I had the DVR at my house or whatever and I would like be like leaving biology lecture early to watch Oprah I'm like who does that <laughs> It's me. No, I get it. I totally get it. I know. And like her book, like power, I, I, I love her podcast. I love everything she touches. She's, she's great. We're going to go have a cocktail. Okay. Invite me, please. <laughs> okay. What's your one message to the audience? Yeah. So I just, you know, want to, want to remind all parents that you, you have a lot of influence over your kids eating habits. Um, but they're also still individual and they still also have their own preferences. So don't get, don't get lost in the comparison trap when it comes to what other parents are doing for their kids. And I think it's something we kind of touched on before. I think that, well, the, the moment that you sort of decide what your responsibility is and what your kid's responsibility is, it can break a lot of those negative things that we tend to have around child feeding. And so I want mealtime to be really positive. I want this to be a really fun experience for both your child and you. And if we can sort of remember that you get to provide what you're serving and when you're serving it and your kid is responsible for eating how much and if they want to eat at all, it just becomes a lot more enjoyable around all mealtimes. And I think that is a really positive place to be. I want the dinner table to be a positive place for everyone. And cutting out some of those mealtime struggles, I think really helps when you start to implement that responsibility framework. I love it. Thank you so much. Yes. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in today, everybody. Thank you, Alex, for coming on the show. Super thankful for you coming on and sharing your knowledge with all of us. You guys make sure you go check out Plant Based Juniors on Instagram. Check out their website, plantbasedjuniors.com. All the links to everything we talked about, including the recipes and books we talked about, will be in the show notes. Those are at sandyboyproductions.com. If you want to get on our email list, email my assistant, Emma, emma at sandyboyproductions.com. And these show notes can be delivered to your inbox every single Tuesday. And this is my weekly request to leave us a rating and review if you enjoyed this episode. That is super helpful in new listeners finding us. And if you really enjoyed it, share it with your friends on social media and tag us. Why is everyone yelling? 
We also have a great community forming on Facebook in our Facebook group. Why is everyone yelling? Uh, Yes, I just appreciate you all so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for giving this new podcast a shot. And we will see you next week on Why is Everyone Yelling? Have a great day, friends.